Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Alicia Buertes. And I'm Jacob Shackman. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Hello and welcome everyone to the Polymer Science Podcast. My name is Jacob Scheckman, and in this episode, we'll be listening to my conversation with Dr. Christoph Erfurt, a researcher with the Fraunhofer Gesellschaft Institute in Germany. Fraunhofer is a world leader in applied research, prioritizing key future-relevant technologies and commercializing its findings to help shape our society and future by improving the materials we use in day-to-day life. In this conversation, Dr. Erfurt talks about his journey into polymer science and the inspiration he finds and follows to motivate his incredible work on polyurethane synthesis. But before we get to into the official interview, I would just like to give a, a quick shout out to who I've just learned is essentially our, my number two listener, Shelly. Shelly, Tyler's mom, thank you so much. I hear that you'd like to listen to this show to help keep up with, with the work that goes on in your son's lab. I'm so glad. I'm, I'm sorry that I can't call you my number one fan. Uh, my mom also listens to the show, so she is my number one listener. But I'm so happy to hear that uh, we have uh, other non-polymer scientists listening to the show. And, and if you have any recommendations, please, please reach out to us. Or, Shelly, if you want to reach out to Tyler to talk to me instead, that's fine too. But this goes for every listener, for all of you. Any comments, questions you might have, please, please reach out to us at polymerSciencePodcast at gmail.com. And now, on to the show. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely welcome. I'm, I'm thrilled to, to share some of these research results, and yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm grateful. Well, before we really uh, get into it, just, just so you know, I, I started recording just because sometimes I have started interviews and forgotten to hit record, so... But uh, we'll say we haven't officially started yet. Um, just to introduce myself again briefly, my name is Jacob Scheckman. I'm a, a graduate student in polymer science at Southern Mississippi here at the, in the U.S. And uh, I'm, I'm working to, to finish up soon. I'll be done in about a year. Um, so with this polymer science interviewing stuff is kind of my, my outlet for, we'll say, some intellectual creativity here. Um, but before I get started on when the interview and asking you some questions too, I wanted to make sure that I'm making some pronunciations correctly. For starters, let's let's go with your name. I think I feel confident in saying Christoph, but can you help me in pronouncing is... in your last name as well? Yeah, yeah I I figure that this is a this might be a problem in in, in the English word. Um, yeah, uh, Herfurt. It Her- is Herfurt. Herfurt. Yeah, just forget about the last age and you're fine. Okay, Herfurt. Okay. <laughs> Herfurt. All Perfect. Right. Yeah. Dr. Christoph Herfurt. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then, of course, also the in pronouncing, pronouncing the name of your company, please. Ah, uh, yeah. Fraunhofer it is. Okay, Fraunhofer. I've been... Yeah, perfect. I've been practicing. I thought I might be able to get that one too. Okay, all right. Dr. Christoph Herfurt and at Fraunhofer. Okay, so um, I'll go ahead and kind of get us started by just asking, uh, as you saw in some of the questions about, really just about yourself, um, how you got into polymer science, and sort of like your uh, academic journey as to what led you there now, and we'll get into some of the questions about polyurethanes and isocyanates and 
how the work you're doing is benefiting our world. Sure. So you, you kind of asked me what first got me into polymer science, and that kind of dates back quite some time, back into my school days when I uh, decided to work on a project which um, had envisaged to, to come up with an alternative to nephion membranes. Uh, I guess you know the DuPont nephion membrane, which is no, I'm, I'm not used familiar. in fuel cells. Uh -huh, okay, it's a polymer electrolyte membrane which helps with the proton exchange from one side of the fuel cell to the other one. So, yeah, it's a polymer electrolyte. That's what it does. This is made of a material which has um, PTFE, so Teflon as a backbone, and some side chains, which uh, yeah, give rise to the proton exchangeability, so to say. And since DuPont has uh, a monopole on that, and since it's kind of advanced chemistry to get it, the material um, the material is pretty expensive and was seen as some of the challenges to overcome in order to make fuel cells globally usable and uh, yeah so the idea was to to look for an alternative for this material which would be easier to produce and um, have comparable properties in terms of proton conductability and yeah so as a as a, as a student in high school i started working on that using gore-tex membrane and modifying it chemically uh -huh. and that was kind of my first contact with the polymer world wow and uh, this is when you were that, in high school yeah well how did you tell us a little bit more about that interesting because certainly i was not working on batteries in any form when i was in high school <laughs> right so was this something that was uh, uh introduced to you through your academics or did you have some natural interest in that you reached out yourself and and found this area so actually i have to i have to give huge credit to the teacher i had back then who was not only very knowledgeable but also very enthusiastic and who was very much able to to translate this enthusiasm to his students so in, in Germany, when you're at, at high school, gymnasium would be the, the German word for that. Um, in the last two years uh, before your A-levels, you, you have to do a, a project for about a year and have to write a report about it. So like a small thesis, if you wish. Mm -hmm. And this has to be done in one of your advanced learners courses. And uh, I had advanced learners courses in chemistry and English. And the, the chemistry teacher came on one of the first days uh, we had with him. He came with a huge list, like six pages or something, with, with topics to address in this, uh, in this little project. And one was this project, so development of a proton exchange membrane for fuel cells as an alternative to nephion. And that caught my attention, and I uh, went to talk to him, and uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I got this idea. And we need to try this. So we, we started working on that and with really basic chemistry. So it was not much more than uh, some sulfuric acid and some sodium hydroxide to make it work. And yeah, so we got a little fuel cell from, from a company who does this as a, as a demonstration experiment for students. And we, yeah, we, we, we worked on that membrane and uh, eventually built it into the fuel cell and tested it. And it, it Indeed, it worked. Wow, we got wonderful. up to seventy percent percent of the of the uh, of the values you would get with a nephion membrane in that fuel cell. And so, this was your essentially introduction to polymer science. Exactly. So that's that was when I caught fire. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And that is invigorating. Yeah, so, so for 
So for my um, university studies, I really set out to look for a university who has a strong polymer background, which is how I got to Potsdam. Um, so, Potsdam? Yeah, Potsdam. 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 And that's the university? Right. That's that's the city where the university is, okay. where I studied. And that's also where the Fraunhofer Institute is, where I'm working right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I started my studies in, in chemistry with the clear goal in my mind to go for polymer chemistry at some point in the future. And uh, yeah, so consequently, here I am <laughs> in a group which uh, is focused on polymer synthesis. And yeah, I've in the meantime become a polymer synthesis chemist. And I am very keen on yeah, still going deeper into the polymer synthesis uh, mysteries and secrets and learning about processes, how to, how to get polymers and how to make polymers work and especially how to make polymers more sustainable, which um, led me to the work on isocyanide-free polyurethanes. Okay. You, are a, you are a very brave man diving so deep into synthetic polymer chemistry. Are you are really I I try to stick to the characterization aspects. The synthesis will drive me up a wall. Uh, then in my eyes, you are the brave man. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's good that people like us have each other. Then well, I yeah, wanted right. to talk on a, a word that you said just now: and sustainable. Let's really highlight that. What exactly does it mean for polymers to be sustainable? Well, I guess sustainable is a word which can mean a lot of things and um, which yeah, kind of links to a lot of things and which can be interpreted in a lot, lot of ways. And so in my view, a lot of things help with sustainability. So uh, when you first approached me, you, you asked for biocompatibility and sustainability uh, kind of in, in one word. Um, so yeah, biocompatibility might help with sustainability, but I guess... Um, Having bio-based materials maybe even helps a lot more. But what my ultimate dream is, if I might say like that, uh, would be to establish something like a carbon circle for industry compared to the ideal one we see in nature. Because if you look into nature with a chemist's eye, so to say, we can see a carbon circle with um, plants using CO2 to build up sugars, which they use for construction and for uh, as an energy source and uh, which works so well that that there that there even is enough to to kind of store in the soil which we now find as as coal as as crude oil as gas and uh, yeah to kind of have that as an ideal for for a future industry to kind of get away from Taking new carbon out of the out of the soil and and using it until it is CO two and uh, is released into the air, but instead having a carbon circle. So that would be my sustainability dream, if you wish. Yeah, that would be that would be incredible for for humans to be able to engineer such a process. Now, in the the online article focusing on, like we said, biocompatible and sustainable plastics and polyurethane specifically. So let's. Talk about polyurethanes as a as in general. Just what what are polyurethanes commonly used for? Let's say there's a listener who really doesn't know anything about polymer science. Can you explain to such a listener where in any given day they might see a polyurethane or use a polyurethane material? Yeah, that's the cool thing about polyurethanes that they are so widely 
applicable because um, their material properties can be designed very especially for for any given need in a very broad range. So I don't know what chair you're sitting on, but if if you if your chair has some sort of foam, it most probably will be polyurethane. To uh, coatings, to adhesives, to uh, I don't know uh, if if you have any sports goods, sports shoes, typically made of polyurethane. Um, what else do we have? Elastic fibers. If you have something like elastane, this is a polyurethane. But also for medical devices, which is what the article kind of focuses on, a lot of polyurethane is used. But also for insulation, or what else do we have? Ceilings. It's it's a material which applies to a lot to mm-hmm. a lot of things, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, which is why it's so important to improve on its process, yeah. right? Right. So let's let's transfer to that a bit. It seems like the issue with with traditional polyurethane fabrication is the use of these toxic isocyanate molecules. Right. So what are what are the dangers of using so much isocyanates, and how is it being replaced now in the synthetic process? Okay. There's dangers and there's drawbacks uh, from my point of view. But of course, there's also advantages after, otherwise people wouldn't use it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, uh, the thing about isocyanates is their high reactivity. So these are highly reactive molecules, which of course helps immensely with the production of polyurethanes to, to make it an efficient and industrially feasible process, right? So you can produce a polyurethane using diisocyanates within minutes, which is really quite a thing to see. So there's YouTube videos where you have people who who package a a printer or a computer using isocyanate uh, polyurethane foam, and they pretty much do the polyurethane synthesis in the the very box where they put the the printer into. And you can really watch the, the foam rise as the reaction proceeds. And yeah, this is only done due to the help of isocyanates, so uh, due to their reactivity. But um, again, this reactivity also gives rise to the drawbacks. So on the one hand, you mentioned toxicity. Uh, Indeed, some of those isocyanates are acutely toxic, but all of them are uh, sensitizers. So they cause allergenic reactions of the body because, uh, well, the the reactivity um, goes to amine OH thiol groups, especially, and there's plenty of those in your body, right? Which is why these are not wealthy, very healthy, and uh, they can cause yeah, allergies, as I said. But um, the high reactivity also causes problems or can cause problems in the production of polyurethanes because sometimes when you think of reactive extrusion, for example, the reaction of the diisocyanate with the OH groups um, can be quicker than the mixing of the components, which gives rise to... Um, zones in your material which uh, have unreacted um, edicts in there, so saying isocyanates and, and polyols. Um, on the other hand, the reaction can go quicker than you want to when you do not manage to, to um, deal with the heat which is released through the reaction, and uh, some zones are heating up, forming hot spots, which uh, leads to unwanted side reactions like cross-linking, etc., which also has a negative effect on the final material properties. So um, 
this is kind of the 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 yeah danger and drawbacks of isocyanates. So what is done to um, to omit those? Well, um, if reactivity is kind of the cause of the problems and the dangers, um, you try to go without the reactivity basically. So you use something which is much less reactive than diisocyanides, which in our case is a dicarbonate. And um, this has the advantage that apart from the diisocyanate, you can use all the edux you would use for a classical PU synthesis, saying chain extenders and polyols can be used as before. And the only thing you are changing is that you do not use a diisocyanate, but a dicarbonate for the production. This, however, has uh, huge consequences on the process because, um, chemically speaking, um, classical TPU synthesis is a polyaddition process, which is very beneficial. You have the edux, you put them together, you get your final material without having to remove any of the byproducts. Um, if you use a dicarbonate instead of a diisocyanate, you will get a polycondensation reaction, um, meaning you will have to remove methanol from the process. Um, However, this is nothing completely unknown to industry. If you think of PET synthesis, this is exactly a process like this. This is polycondensation where you have to remove methanol. So um, even though we are getting a completely different chemistry here, this is still industrial fe industrially feasible. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's not uh, such a limiting factor that you can't move forward with the process. It already exists industrially. Uh, um, not necessarily poly the, your polyurethane, of course, not your polyurethane yes, synthesis, yes. but the idea so of... Polycondensation is, is used industrially, mm -hmm. right. Now, how do you identify this problem? I think I had sent this to you as a question ahead of time, too, because yeah. it's, it's... When I'm doing these interviews, I, I love to... And really just meeting people in polymer science, I love to find out how people find the problems that that they come across right so how did you see that there was this issue with fabricating polyurethane synthesizing polyurethanes with chemicals that have these drawbacks and toxicities and once you identified the problem what eventually led you to find oh i can use dicarbamate instead right what what led you to start taking those steps so first of all the the using of dicarbamates is not my idea. This has been described before in the literature, but what I did was take the process that, which was described there as taking 24 hours and uh, needing 200 degrees Celsius, etc., and and optimized it, um, worked on catalysts and reaction conditions, so that now we have a process which um, runs for six to eight hours with up to 180 degrees Celsius. And as uh, people from industry have assured me, very much industrially feasible and very much thinkable and very much in line with typical polycondensation mm -hmm. procedures. Mm -hmm. So uh, there you also have already one of the first problems that I, yeah, that I saw and identified and uh, one of the questions um, that I ran into and, and that I tried to answer. So... Um, Maybe I'll tell you a bit about uh, about uh, Fraunhofer Gesellschaft, to because this this also gives rise to some of those answers. So Fraunhofer Gesellschaft is a research organization, which is to help 
transfer uh, results from basic research from academia to a point where it gets interesting for industry to work on that. So usually there's a, there's a gap. Some people say that there's a death valley between academia and industry. And uh, Fraunhofer is kind of trying to be the bridge over the death valley, which is why we are always trying to keep in mind the prerequisites industry would ha have on research topics we are looking into. And in the case of isocyanate-free polyurethanes, um, there were various things leading to that. So on the one hand, there was a project where the company specifically asked for that. We did find a different solution for them. And I, I'm not allowed to talk about the details, but yeah, that kind of was the starting point of, of what got me, what got my interest there. And on the other hand, there's a regulation of the European Chemistry, Chemical Agency, which will put a yeah, very strong restriction on isocyanate-containing materials, saying that um, anything which has more than 0.1% of isocyanate is not to be uh, used publicly anymore. Wow. Okay. Except, ex except if people um, have a had have had a special training how to deal with isocyanates. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, through this regulation, there's a there's a certain need to look for alternatives. And yeah, uh, you asked for which other questions um, I came up to. So when I look, first looked into the process and I looked into the process conditions, I thought, okay, I have to work on that. I have to make that work so that the process is industrially thinkable. And the second thing, uh, the second big question that occurred when looking into polyurethanes, we have talked about the the various applications and and how to really tailor material properties to those applications. And this is kind of the really interesting thing about polyurethanes to look into those structure property relations. Mm -hmm. And this is what we are doing right now, because what companies keep as their very special expertise when they're dealing with polyurethanes is exactly this knowledge how to get the material properties by using whichever recipe and whichever process conditions. Mm -hmm. I really, really like your description of Fraunhofer as uh, the, a bridge between academia and industry, because it sounds like as when you answered this question about um, tackling your problem, you really, really needed to dive deep into your academic brain to to improve on the process, right? You said you found this these procedures that existed in literature and optimized them and improved them. So you needed a deep, deep understanding of these chemistries yeah. to, to make it happen. So I, my, for my own personal curiosity, I'm wondering if because you had to use this deep knowledge of chemistry and academia, did but for making it viable for industry, so was that, did you have to sort of change your the way you think a little bit because i i because i'm still in academia i envision industry as this other world so i'm i'm just curious i suppose if there was something you had to change your perspective of thinking at all i guess this change of perspective comes with working for fraunhofer in general mm -hmm. so um i guess a big difference um in working from for fraunhofer uh, compared to to working in academia is 
that uh, from my point of view usually uh, if you have an academic career or if if you have an if you're working in academia you have a very uh, very set field or a very focused topic that you're working on and you are very specialized and you know everything about this very special field and you dive really deep and you pretty much do this for all your academic life and usually you do not change topics that much during your academic life, right? While in Fraunhofer, since we are working with industry quite a lot, yeah, we have to keep very flexible in terms of topics and, and every now and then we have to focus on a new topic and have to get into a new topic. And so I guess this is where there's a difference in, in terms of how we, we think about things. So in general, usually when you're working in academia, what you would look for would be a, a global minimum for something, right? While in Fraunhofer, we are already happy if we have found a local one, mm-hmm. which which works for industry. Mm-hmm. Because usually it's it's always a question of, um, yeah, how much time do we get? How much money do we get to spend on a, pro- on a project? Right. And how far can we get into a topic with those with those mm-hmm. uh, yeah restrictions wonderful all right let's let's go back to the to your polyurethane synthesis process again in the in the article online again it's mentioned that carbon dioxide it can be used in yeah. the process for for synthesizing yeah. these polyurethanes which i i love i love to read about i love the idea of taking a gas and making it something solid right for for a, a dual purpose essentially can we talk about how how that is done because again i when i do these interviews i like to try to think of a perspective of someone that just does is listening to this because they know what chemistry is and they want to learn about how it's involved in their world but they don't study it right so Mm -hmm. from that perspective the idea of taking a gas and making it a solid is just fascinating so can we talk about about that process how do we how are you pulling this greenhouse gas out of the air and using it for your polyurethane synthesis, right? Maybe that's a misconception based on your reaction there. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it is at some points. So um, basically the idea behind this is the the um, idea of a carbon circle, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if we can use CO2 as a carbon source, which is what we are trying to do here, um, this would kind of close the loop at least at one point in the whole in the whole industry and no we are not pulling it out of the air right. because <laughs> there's not not enough in the air for that to be really feasible mm-hmm. but what we are what we are uh, trying to do is um, thinking of let's say uh, power plants or something which has a very strong uh, co2 stream that we could use so to to really catch it at the source mm-hmm and take it from there and use it. So chemically speaking, CO2 is not only a gas, but also a very dead molecule. So it's it's kind of the end of the, the carbon chemistry, right? Um, if, you, if carbon goes into CO2, there's not much you can do with it anymore without uh, using a lot of energy to make it, make it work again. And basically there's, there would be two ways to, to get energy into that molecule again, which would be electricity, which is not what we are doing, or um, to try and use chemistry to get energy into that. So what we are trying to do is to find a reaction 
which um, creates enough energy to to make the CO2 alive again, if you wish. So what we are what we are doing is uh, we are trying to use CO2 to synthesize the carbonates we use for the polyurethanes. This is what we're doing. I see. So it's a a building block to your your building block, if you will. It's a building block, right? Mm-hmm. All right. And so finally, I think what are what's what's next? Let's say this. Uh, you know, is it you you perfect this synthetic procedure? And then the procedure is what you sell, or does Fraunhofer uh, eventually start to sell polyurethane as a product? What what happens next? What happens next is, is a very good question. Um, so basically, what we are trying to do in that project is build knowledge and build expertise on how to do things, especially on how to get material properties. So structure property relations are a very important point in the whole project. And we are working with three other uh, Fraunhofer institutes on that, but I guess that's mentioned in the press release you have. And uh, so the goal is to make the whole Nipu story interesting enough for uh, companies that use conventional polyurethane now and yeah, make them understand that um, Using isocyanate-free polyurethane is advantageous to them, be it because it's a medical company and isocyanates is, is, is an issue in any case, or be it that uh, a company wants to have more sustainable products and we are, we are running an LCA over our processes in the pro- pro- project to uh, get data to be able to prove that. Or, yeah, may it be that they just... Um, don't want to give or don't see the need for people to to have this this training to work with diisocyanates because um, they see that they can get their material properties without isocyanates in exactly the same way as they need it. Right. Or right. to maybe that it's, it's even more more viable for them. And then um, yeah, we want to work with those those companies and help them develop Nipu products with our knowledge. So this is what Fraunhofer does, right. basically. We are doing, we are offering research. Yeah, yeah, an industrial company to offer research for others, to, to spread knowledge, I like to think. Kind of, yeah. We're, we're not industrial. We are, um, for one third, we get funding from, this, from the government. Oh, wow. But the, okay. other two th- the, the other two thirds we have to... Um, Get from industry and uh, right. So from other which sources. comes from. So, do you do any grant writing yourself, or or is that uh, something that's maybe done by a separate department within your company? No, no, no. We have to write proposals ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this is part of my my day to day job as a scientist at Fraunhofer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fascinating. Come up with ideas, find uh, partners. I'm keep- even advertise my work, which is why we're <laughs> doing <Yeah>. this. Today. <laughs> Good, yeah. <laughs> well, I will. I will be happy to to help get this out there. Um, no, but uh, really, uh, getting getting the word out is 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 a big part and helps us a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm always I'm always happy to to hear from people who got an idea for an application because, as, as I said in the beginning, I'm very deeply into polymer synthesis and I'm still learning how to apply these products mm-hmm. and, and what is needed to make it work as, an, as a product. We're, we're all learning every, every day, right? I'd say my last question, my last, uh, 
What would you say is your your favorite part in this in this aspect? Not necessarily just with the polyurethane synthesis project that you've been developing, but we'll say with your your role at Fraunhofer, what mm-hmm. what's your favorite part? What of of your day to day research life? Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> so uh, I really like the idea of doing something which people will hold in their hands at a not too far future. So typically when you're working in academia, this is also possible, but it will take like 15, 20, 25 years after you have discovered something that people will actually benefit from it, right? Um, With Fraunhofer, we're a bit closer, I would say like five to 10 years. If we are working uh, with some industrial companies on a, trying to solve a, 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 a problem for them, then it's even shorter. Uh, so that's an idea I like very much to to be able to, yeah, do something that people benefit from mm-hmm. in in foreseeable future. And uh, the other thing that I also like very much is um, looking into industry processes and and getting to know how they do things, what challenges they are facing, uh, where to work on processes, etc. That's that's really really interesting and exciting to look into. That's something that kind of has always interested me, uh, even when I was a small child. So this is kind of a dream job for me. Yeah. And um, yeah, also to, to have a new topic every now and then and to, to um, put my mind around something new. Mm-hmm. That's also a big part that I like very much in my day-to-day work at Fraunhofer. It's able to stay dynamic. There's no stagnant time, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Wonderful. Exactly. Well, Dr. Herfurt, thank you so much. That's all of my questions. I don't. If there's anything else that you would like to add, please feel free. Um, otherwise, we're all set. Okay. Thank all you right. very much. Thank, thank you, you for the opportunity to to share some of my research. Absolutely, my pleasure. I'm really glad that you were able to come on. Yeah, really like doing that interview with you. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of you absolutely amazing listeners for tuning in today and making all that we do worth the while. I sure hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Erfutz as much as I have, and that maybe you've learned a thing or two about polymer science and polyurethanes, or who knows, maybe you can even look around the house and spot a few polyurethanes yourself now. As always, if you have any questions or feedback regarding the show, or maybe you just want to say hello, please feel free to reach out to us at polymersciencepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.